theme today in this disrupted Christmas is the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us. And of course, you see that scene from the movie, The Nativity, when Jesus, the Christ child, was born to Joseph and Mary there in Bethlehem. Um, Want to go through the questions real quick with you just to make sure we have all our answers down uh, pat, okay? The first question is, how did Mary find out that she was going to have a baby? And the short answer is Gabriel. The angel Gabriel told her while she was there in Nazareth. If you watch the movie The Nativity, it happened right after Mary's engagement to Joseph, where she found out she was going to marry Joseph. So uh, whether that's true or not, God, Gabriel appeared to Mary unannounced and gave her the good news. And of course, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. Uh, may it be done to you and done to me as you wish. The second question is, how did Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem? The answer is not a limousine, uh, not a Learjet. Uh, they had to get there the old-fashioned way. Joseph probably walked, and Mary was on the back of a donkey. And uh, the, so the kid's answer was mostly right. Probably it was not a horse or not a camel, as those animals were more expensive. So being on a donkey for Mary makes the most sense. Number three, what happened when Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem? Well, when they got to Bethlehem to pay the tax for the Roman census, uh, that Joseph had to be there for, being a descendant of David. That's why he had to go to the city of David, Bethlehem. Uh, the time came for Jesus to be born. And as I said last week, because of the Middle Eastern culture, and because Luke says in his gospel, while they were there, the time came for the Christ to be born, uh, they probably were able to secure lodging, and most likely it was in a two-room peasant home of a relative or a friend of either Joseph or Mary. Uh, the next question is, where was Jesus born? Of course, the simple answer there is Bethlehem. Uh, by the way, the Muslim Quran says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem, and that is one area in which they were mistaken. The Bible's very clear to fulfill uh, the prophet Micah. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. It's only about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. Uh, you remember when the Magi came from the east, they said, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Herod immediately went to the religious scholars, the Jewish leaders, and said, where's the Christ going to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem. So Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Uh, number five question, what kind of animals were there? I, th I think some of the kids' answers were pretty funny. Uh, great. Probably sheep for sure because they were shepherds. Uh, if you believe that one Christmas hymn, the ox and lamb were there keeping time. Uh, they were goats, uh, perhaps camels too. But if the camels were there, it was most likely only when the Magi arrived, and that would have been sometime later. I do not believe, uh, sorry whoever gave this answer, that there were any pigs there because they would have been unclean, unclean animals to the Jews. Let's go to the next questions. What do you think it was like in the stable where Jesus was born? Well, I think if you think it smelled like somebody had just sprayed with Febreze, you're wrong. It was probably a stinky, smelly place. Um, if it was in the family room of a two-room pleasant home, I'm sure they cleaned it up as much as they could. But the animals would have occupied the lower level of the home, and that area was actually called the guest room. Um, 
Next question. Tell me about how the shepherds found out about Jesus being born. You guys know they were out in their fields watching their flocks by night, and that is when the angel of the Lord appeared to them and gave them the good news about Jesus. Who were the other people that came to visit Jesus besides Joseph and Mary and any uh, people that were in that peasant family home uh, to witness the birth of the Christ? The first guests to arrive, the visitors, were probably only one or two miles away out in the fields, and that would have been the shepherds. And then later, of course, the Magi, according to Matthew chapter 2, they came later, probably it was months later, if not more. Uh, there was a, a something about the gifts. What gifts did the wise men bring? Uh, we know that they brought gold, which would have been for royalty. They, would, they brought frankincense, which would have symbolized Jesus' divinity, something that would have been offered to God in the temple there in Jerusalem. And they brought myrrh. And myrrh, of course, is a burial spice, and it, it reminds us of Jesus' passion and suffering death, burial, and resurrection for us later on in his life. But more than that, I think the Magi brought their worship. It wasn't just the gifts they brought. They brought their worship because they bowed down and worshiped him. Now, question number 10, and this is the one I want to focus on the most about the Christmas story. Why is it important that Jesus was born? Well, he was born to be God with us. That is what that word Emmanuel means. That is the word that the angel used to declare who Jesus was to Joseph in that dream, to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. And then Jesus was also born to be our Savior. Unto you a Savior is born, uh, who is Christ the Lord. Now, when the angel described Jesus to be born as Christ the Lord. It's interesting because the word Lord, when it was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, a famous document called the Septuagint, whenever it uses the word Lord, it was describing God himself. You remember reading in Psalm, chap, uh, Psalm number 110, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit here while I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Well, there's two different words in Hebrew used for the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit here. And so there's only one God in the Jewish faith. It's a monotheistic religion, as is Christianity. And yet, one Lord was saying to another Lord. Somehow they were able to speak to each other. So we have God the Father and God the Son both used the word Lord. And the, the word Lord was a translation in the Septuagint for the word Yahweh or God. Now, <clears throat> I want to describe to you uh, and, and try to get into the head now. Jesus has been born. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus has been born and... I want to think about the perspective of Mary as she has just given birth to Messiah and given him the name Jesus. From her perspective, what would have it been like? Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. And at this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what God is doing through Jesus is this teenage girl 
in a stable there in Bethlehem. Mary cannot take her eyes off of Jesus. Somehow, Mary knows that she is holding God. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. But as Mary looks down at this newborn infant, he looks anything but a king. His face is prunish and red from the childbirth. His cry, though it is strong and healthy, it is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. And he is absolutely dependent upon Mary and Joseph for his well-being. Isn't that interesting that God Almighty not only allowed himself to become a human being, but to become a helpless human being dependent upon the care and the nurture of human beings as his parents. Majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the sheep smell and in the sweat, divinity entering our world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager and in the presence of a carpenter. Mary smiles and touches the face of the infant God. She looks at him and whispered, how long was your journey? Friends, when we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus, Emmanuel, we're talking about the omnipotent, all-powerful God in one instant, when he became a human, he made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable, and he who was larger than the universe became a fetus. He who sustains this world with a word now chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young teenage girl. And what was it like in Bethlehem when Jesus was born? Did they pop the champagne and and the party streamers, I mean, was it a huge celebration like it should have been? Actually, it was no celebration at all. The rest of the world barely noticed. Meanwhile, the, the, the town of Bethlehem just hummed along like normal. The next day, the merchants, they were unaware that God had visited their world. The priests in Jerusalem, just five miles north, they kept on offering their sacrifices on the altar to God. The emperor Caesar Augustus over in Rome and in Italy, he kept on ruling the ancient world. Those who missed his majesty's arrival, missed it, and not because necessarily of their evil acts or any malice that they had done. No, most of the people, when Jesus was born, missed it simply because they were not looking for it. Look what the angel told Joseph. When he told Joseph, you need to marry that girl, Mary, because what is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. She said, you are to name him Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. That's what it means when the angel said, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He will save his people from their sins. You know what that implies for you and me as human beings? That we are all sinners in need of a savior. We all need to be saved from our sins. The heart of the human problem, friends, really is the problem of the human heart. Isaiah put it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. 
And yet, talking about Jesus and his sacrifice for us, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The problem of the human heart is the heart of the problem. Friends, would you like to see God? Sometimes a skeptic will say that. Well, if God just showed up right in front of me, maybe I would believe in him. Would you like to see God? The author of Hebrews writes it this way, describing Jesus. He says, Jesus radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. When you want to see the exact representation of God's being, all you need to do, friends, is look at Jesus. In John 14, chapter 9, they're in the upper room. And Jesus is just describing his own ministry. And he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. Let not your hearts be troubled. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip says something like, well, well, Lord Jesus, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus replies to Philip. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Wow, that's a, a bold statement. Anyone who has seen Jesus talk, anyone who has seen how Jesus treats people, like the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Uh, when the leper came to him and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, filled with compassion, he reached out and touched that unclean leopard and he said, I am willing, be clean. When you see Jesus, you see the heart of the Father. Anyone who has seen Jesus weep has seen the Father weep. Anyone who has seen Jesus laugh has seen the Father laugh. So what do we learn about God from looking at Jesus? We learn that God is love. And Jesus is God in a human suit. You know, everything changes, friends, when we look at the face of God. He came with tears he knows the burden of our broken hearts. Jesus knows the sorrows that this life can bring us. He knows the damage that sin has done to humanity. He could have chosen to come as a shining light. He could have chosen to come as a thunderous voice in the clouds. But instead, God came as a person. He came so that you and I could know him. Now, you and I, we, we can't go back in time. We can't go back to Israel 2,000 years ago. But you know, where, you know what road you can go down to know God, to know Jesus? You can go down the pages of the four Gospels in the New Testament. You can go down the stories of Jesus' life and ministry and his death, burial, and resurrection in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can see for yourself as you read those pages you can decide for yourself, friends, as you are reading, if you are really looking into the face of God. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is something that when we're talking about the incarnation, friends, this is something that is absolutely essential to our Christian faith. You cannot say, well, I believe Jesus was a great man. I believe Jesus was a prophet. I believe he was a guru. He was a spiritual teacher who had special insight. Jesus may have been all of those things, but Jesus was much more than that. Jesus was God in a human suit. That's what we mean when we say the incarnation. And, and here's the other truth, friends. 
without the incarnation of God and Jesus, without the incarnation, there is no salvation. There is no salvation because Jesus had to be the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. He had to be sinless if he would really be able to take away the sins of the world. So friends, what about you today? Where are you in your journey of, tr of exploring life and faith and what is real and what, and, and what happens to us beyond this life after our, our physical bodies die? Where are you in that journey in your search for God? Are you wondering if God cares about you? Are you wondering if God really cares day to day what happens in your life? You know, a lot of people say, oh, God is just, he's got too many other important things to do. He's just too busy. Uh, he's got to run the rest of the universe. He's got no time for someone like me. And what, what's really implied there is you're so insignificant and maybe you're full of sin and you know that you can't go into God's holy presence that you just say, God, the best thing to do is, is just don't pay any attention to me at all. Well, God cannot do that, friends. God cannot not pay attention to you. He cannot not care about you because God is love. And so because God is love, he cares everything about you. Eternal life, when, when Jesus invites you into a relationship with him, he's inviting you to eternal life. Do you know in Greek, there are two different words for life? One word for life is bios. It's where we get the word biology. It's like when, when, a, when an organism or a human being or any animal is alive, even a plant is alive, they are biologically alive. But there's another word in Greek that's used when somebody has eternal life, when somebody has the life that will go on living forever because they are in a relationship with God. And that life is called Zoe, Zoe. And so Jesus, when he's talking about giving you eternal life, this is what he means by that. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, friends, is a relationship, and Jesus is inviting you into that relationship. God came to earth in Jesus. We've been talking about that in the incarnation. Our sin may make us want to hide from God, but our sin will not keep God from coming to find us. This world was lost in sin, and yet Jesus came anyway. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you and me, friends. Jesus came to save you and me. That's how much God loves us. And so, friends, as we look forward, as we're thinking about this Christmas season um, and what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and to grow in our relationship with him, to appreciate him more and more in this Christmas season, thinking about the way forward, I was thinking about a few days ago, uh, last week on Sunday afternoon, December 13th, you guys remember it was a rainy day. It was spitting rain and many of us braved that spitting rain and we went outside there in the church parking lot and we had our outdoor event in December called Caroline and Coco. And we sang six great Christmas songs. And I chose those songs specifically because they talk about Jesus and they talk about his birth and what that means to us. The very first song we sang that afternoon was Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Charles Wesley, written in 1739. 
And in that song, there is a stanza, a, a lyric that says this, Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. I think Charles Wesley understood that the purpose of Jesus' coming was so that he could take up residence in our hearts, so that we could make room for him in our hearts. Jesus came into our world so that you would see the depth of his love for you, so that you would respond to his love, and so that eventually at some point in your life, and you need to make this decision, if you haven't yet done it already, friends, I urge you to make this decision today. Invite Jesus into your heart. Have the attitude of saying, welcome, Lord Jesus. Welcome to our hearts. Come and live in us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Fix in us thy humble home. If you're ready to enter into that relationship with the living God, through Emmanuel, through God become a human being, God's love lived out among us in a human suit, in a human person of Jesus. If you want that relationship, then I invite you to pray with me right now. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll speak to every person who's listening right now. We pray that you'll open up their hearts and make them available to you. Lord Jesus, you say that if we are to know you, by knowing you, that's how we can have eternal life. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into our broken world. Thank you that you allowed yourself in humility to be born in Bethlehem so that you could turn our hearts back to God. Jesus, thank you for choosing us, for inviting us to know you. Thank you for the offer of forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, we invite you into our hearts. Fix in us today your humble home. Lord, we celebrate you this Christmas. We honor you. We pray that you'll be in the front and the center of all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.